For Cybercrime Radio, I'm Heather Engel. Today I'm talking with Aaron West. Aaron is a prosecutor with the REACT Task Force, part of the Santa Clara County Office of the District Attorney, and a cybercrime and crypto expert. Aaron, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Nice to be here. So you're known for the work that you've done to recover cryptocurrency for victims of online scams. I'd like to ask you to start by giving us a little bit of your background. How did you find your way into becoming an expert in cybersecurity and cryptocurrency? It's funny because you might think that someone who has all those titles you just said would be some sort of computer expert, but really I'm a career prosecutor. I've been a prosecutor for 25 years and for the entirety of my career, I've been really victim focused. I've done hate crimes, I've done sexual assault, and I'm really concerned about how victims are treated in society. And so I have teenage boys, and as they were entering the digital age and having their lives involved with digital, and it seemed to me that I wanted to be a little more aware of digital security and what was happening. So I volunteered to work with our high-tech task force. And so for the past eight years, I've been working with a group of super smart detectives who handle everything from massive identity fraud to ATM skimmers to SIM swap cases. And now we are focused on pig butchering, which really is a victim intensive crime that has really touched me in our need for protecting victims and what's happening to them online. We hear about victims getting scammed every day, but many listeners might not be familiar with pig butchering scams. Can you describe how this works for us and share some thoughts around why people fall victim to these types of scams? Yeah, the reason they're falling victim is because this is the most sophisticated scam that we have ever seen. It is highly organized, well-structured, well-funded, and is laser-focused on taking money from victims all over the world. So what happens in a pig butchering scam is a victim will be contacted by a text that appears to be directed to the wrong person. Like, what time is our tennis game? Or, I need to bring my dog in. Can you help me schedule an appointment? It preys on our trusting nature and our willingness to help our fellow man, and our victims will respond to that. And then before they know it, the scammer is sending them a picture and asking them to be friends. That's one way these scammers will reach out to our victims. They'll also reach out to them on Facebook or Instagram, on Match or any of the dating platforms, or LinkedIn. And those are just the ways that they are able to initially connect with our victims. And that begins a long con that'll go on for probably 90 days where our scammers' focus is on gaining the complete trust of the victim and creating the relationship that anyone would dream of. They are concerned about the victim. They are well aware of everything going on in the victim's life. They are the most attentive and interested party about the victim's life. And it's intoxicating to victims. They feel seen and heard. And this is all part of a manipulation that has been studied and put forth in playbooks and replicated over and over because it works. When our victims find themselves in this relationship, the scammer is showing them throughout pictures of themselves in affluent type situations, showing themselves on a speedboat or on a vacation or in a nice car. And later in the relationship, the scammer will reveal that the reason they're able to afford all of this is because they invest in cryptocurrency and they didn't know how either, but they could teach our victim. 
And that's the second part, Heather, where they become financially manipulated. So the first part is the romance. The second part is the financial manipulation, where they encourage our victims to put their money into cryptocurrency. But what's happening is that money is going directly to scammers and up the line into the Chinese organized crime that's running this whole operation. And the reason they call it pig butchering, it's a Chinese term, Sha Pan. The reason they call it that is because it is designed to separate the victim from every single penny they have, to eviscerate them from snout to tail. And that's how this ends. It's not until the victim has liquidated 401ks and emptied children's college accounts, and they believe that they've made all this money in cryptocurrency, but it's all been a fake platform they've been looking at. It's a real tragic situation for victims, and we are seeing it happening at a scale we've never seen before. So cryptocurrency is such an unknown for so many people. It sounds like that's one of the reasons that this scam is successful. It starts out as something that we can teach you, and it's easy, and you can make money. That's exactly right. Yes. Yeah. And you've noted that sometimes the first step in prosecution is educating law enforcement on the basics of how to assist victims. So to that end, you created the Crypto Coalition. Can you tell us a little bit more about this? Yeah, because my team had worked in SIM swapping, we were familiar with cryptocurrency because the goal of a SIM swapper is to separate a victim from their cryptocurrency. In this scam, the scammer is having the victim turn their U.S. dollars into cryptocurrency and moving it. And what we found is that we were able to help some victims get their money back, which was outstanding. We were able to help them seize money. But then when we tried to teach other counties to do the same thing for their victims, we came to find out that there were not very many places in the United States where a victim could go to get help. And what we saw was over and over, victims were being turned away from police stations and told that they just don't do cryptocurrency cases. And so that didn't sit right with me. And I felt like I had a unique opportunity to share the knowledge that my team had and to use the people on my team to help educate. So I started the Crypto Coalition in October 2022 with just by having a webinar about pig butchering. And I remember thinking to one of my detectives, like, do you think anybody will come? And he'll be like, I don't know. Well, let's try it. And so for our first meeting, we had 85 members of law enforcement show up for that. And from there, we've built it to yesterday, we hit 1,500 members. And so it's really one of my proudest accomplishments in law enforcement to be able to bring together people who did not know how to trace cryptocurrency and help victims to seeing this flourishing environment on a listserv where people are helping each other daily. And we do webinars every three weeks where we educate further about this crime in particular, but other crypto crimes like Bitcoin ATM scams or SIM swapping, and we're able to pass on our knowledge. And now it's been so successful that we had an in-person conference in San Jose in January, where 180 members of the coalition showed up to meet in person. And now there's such talent developed within this coalition that they're able to teach each other now. And it's really been an amazing accomplishment to see that happen. Yeah, that's amazing. Has it spread far outside of California, or is it still something that's mainly within the state? Yeah, no, thank you for asking. We had 25 states represented at the conference. We have 50 states in the coalition and tons of countries all over the world. So it's been amazing to see a Kansas crime 
happen. And then the ability to connect that Kansas detective to a Nigerian police officer that's part of the coalition and see that Nigerian police officer take on the Kansas case and ultimately make arrests and convictions within Nigeria. I never thought I would see the day that that is happening. And that's the magic of this coalition. Yeah, that's amazing. It sounds like it's really become more of a global effort, which is what we need for something like this. Exactly. So you've been through some extensive and complex legal proceedings to return seized crypto to the victims, which is not something that happens very often. What are some of the challenges that you see in prosecution and recovery? Why is it so hard for victims to get their money back? Thank you for giving me the opportunity to answer this because I think that it's really difficult for victims to understand this, and I wish I had more opportunity to explain it well to them. So thank you. First, I'll tell you how we were successful. So because we had a leg up in tracing crypto and had the tools from Chainalysis and TRM to do the tracing, we made it an experiment back in May 2022 Could we trace somebody's cryptocurrency and then seize it? And so we took a test case. It was a software engineer, age 30, who had lost nearly $300,000. We were able to trace his cryptocurrency to Binance. And at that time in May 2022, we weren't sure whether Binance would honor a search warrant for that money from the United States. We knew that Binance was located outside the United States, but we also knew that they had recently hired a lot of strong U.S. former law enforcement. So we took a chance and we served this search warrant on Binance and they returned the money. And then the next piece of it was now that we had this money, we needed to be able to return it to the victim. And there's one of the challenges that we all face as law enforcement here is a set of laws that are not set up for cryptocurrency. And so we had to try and figure out how to get the money back to the victim using the existing framework that we had. And we figured out how to do that and we got that money back to the victim, and which was fantastic. And we did it 22 more times and we've returned over two and a half million dollars to victims. But what we're seeing today is that the money is moving too fast and we can see the money go into exchanges. And by the time we get to those exchanges, the money is gone and has passed on in other ways where we cannot access it. And so unfortunately for today's victims, Unless they're able to get in front of an investigator familiar with how to trace cryptocurrency within probably 24 hours, their ability to recover that cryptocurrency is pretty limited. And so that's why we work on other things. We work on the stigma because we know that it's embarrassing. You know, that's part of the things that these scammers count on is that it's embarrassing and humiliating. And when our victims realize, oh, my God, I've lost all my money and this person isn't real, they're not super interested in going into a police department and telling someone that that happened to them. So we've got to work with police to make them better empathetic listeners and to understand that this is a time game. It's a speed game. And here's what you need to get from your victim today. You need to get the transaction hash and you need to get the deposit address. And the victim will want to tell you all kinds of other information about the scammer, where they think they live and all that. But none of that is relevant at minute one, which is how can we trace this money? Do victims tend to liquidate and send money more than once, or is it typically one bulk payment? You've hit the nail on the head of one of our major problems, is that they do it in pieces. And so they may have given 20000 and then 100000 three weeks later, and then 100000 a month later. 
And so by the time they get to us, we really are only tracking their last payment, which is still a lot of money. But honestly, there is no good means right now to recover money for victims in a one-off case manner. It doesn't exist right now. And then the next problem that you brought up is a very legitimate problem, and that is, well, what do we do with the scammers and what do we do about prosecution? And so I looked into that and what we're dealing with, they've set themselves up beautifully. This is Chinese organized crime, and they have built compounds in locations that are unamenable to any type of U.S. intervention. They are located in Cambodia, where they are protected by the government of Cambodia, who's definitely in on it. And we can prove that through documentation. We know that they're getting paid as a result of this. We know they're part of the problem. And then when we look at Myanmar, we know that they are operating in special economic zones where there are no laws that are regulating this in any way. So they've put themselves in a place where we cannot get to them. And the best we can hope is the mantra that I keep using, and that's educate, seize, disrupt. I mean, this story for me is just its so much to take in. And it's fascinating to hear some of the inner workings and, you know, the background and everything that leads up to this. You already mentioned this, that it's Chinese organized crime. And you were quoted in the Forbes article as saying that you think it's a major international issue. We're draining the economic viability of our individual citizens and we're funneling it to Chinese organized crime. What are some things that we can do, if any, at either a micro level or a macro level to help prevent this? What we need to do is we need to tell everyone that we know about this. I always laugh because I got a blowout the other day. I had never had a hair blowout. And this woman is doing my hair and I'm telling her (laughs) about this because I'll tell anyone anytime. And she's like, why have I never heard of this? And I was like, that's the whole problem (laughs) is the person doing my hair needs to know about it. Your kid's soccer coach needs to know about it. My cousin, my cousin's dentist, like everybody needs to know about this. I posted a picture of myself on LinkedIn this week in the dentist chair telling my own dentist about it. (laughs) So that's the thing. So we can, we can learn about it and we can talk about it. And the second thing is there are many opportunities to disrupt depending on where you live and what you do. And I feel like this is such a big problem that no one entity is going to be able to fix it. So if you are in banking, figure out tighter controls for the dispersal of huge chunks of money. Let's insert a human into that that the victim will have to talk to in order to get their money out. Or if you're social media, let's continue to work on preventing these bad actors from getting on our platforms. If you're in telco, let's look at how these bad actors are able to send out so many texts. When I talk to groups and I ask, has anyone received one of these texts? Everyone in the room has received a text like this. And I don't think we've ever seen any scope this big before where a scammer has been able to hit literally everyone I talk to everywhere. Everyone has gotten that text. So there's plenty of opportunities to disrupt. If you're in law enforcement, you need to know about this and you need to understand the the scale of the problem. I think what people also don't realize about this problem is that It's being run by human trafficked victims. On the other side of the world, organized crime has set up these compounds and in order to fill them with the human power needed to run these scams, they put up these beautiful websites advertising for employment for a graphic designer or a travel agent, or I even heard about someone who thought he was joining some sort of acting troupe and they fly them to Bangkok And they pick them up in Bangkok, they take their passports and they bust them into these 
scam facilities where they are locked in and guarded with men with AK-47s and required to do this work. So if there ever was a global crisis involving victims against victims on this massive scale before, I've never heard of it. I've never heard of anything so outrageous, well-planned, well-executed, and operating with minimal friction worldwide. And that has got to stop. It's pretty scary. And we've done a couple of interviews on this show where we've talked to other people who are part of this. Either they were a victim and they've said the same thing. It's interesting how much of it goes back to organized crime and human trafficking. Very scary. Absolutely. And when we're talking about organized crime, they're organized for a reason. They've been doing this for years. This is their new pivot. And they know how to money launder and they know how to stay under the radar so that they evade prosecution and seizure. So we're dealing with a really formidable enemy. Yeah. Well, Erin, this has been a really fascinating conversation. Anything else you'd like to add in closing? Sure. What I'd love to say is that I am actively at work on this. And I started something a year ago called Operation Shamrock. I started it on March 17th of last year under the pillars of Educate, Seize, Disrupt. And this year, I am looking to really create that public-private partnership that everybody talks about, that everybody mentions on. If you ask anybody what the solution is, they'll say it's information sharing and public-private partnership. And so for the month of February, I've been interviewing everyone that I consider a stakeholder in this and figuring out what their willingness is, their bandwidth and their ideas for how we could move this forward. And on March 17th, I'll be dropping my suggestions about what could be done. And I'm going to follow that up with a webinar, an invitation only webinar where we meet with these stakeholders and we break into working groups that we hold each other accountable. And I think a lot of working groups have been developed and then they kind of fall apart and not this one. It's time to keep moving. And then we'll have an in-person event later this summer where we'll meet and discuss the progress we've made. So I'm optimistic. I've seen great response so far by social media. Everyone I talk to is willing to participate and be part of this. So I'm optimistic that at least we are mobilizing the forces and uniting. And this will take time, but I feel like at the moment we are in a positive trajectory. Well, that's great. And you said it's Operation Shamrock? Yes. Okay. I saw it on your LinkedIn. I was looking at your LinkedIn yesterday when I was doing research for the story and I (laughs) I saw it. So I wasn't sure what it was, but thanks for bringing it up and talking about it. My pleasure. Erin, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity and thank you so much for your time. For Cybercrime Radio, I'm Heather Engel. For more of our media, visit cybercrimemagazine.com.